Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here today. Glad for those of you who are worshiping online. Invite you to take out your Bible. I hope you brought it to Hebrews chapter 12. If you didn't bring it, maybe these verses will be familiar to you. I bet you they will. We're in this series, Intentional Faith. We have been looking um, for many weeks on how to intentionally grow inwardly in our faith through our beliefs and through our attitudes. And in the past several weeks, we have been applying that outwardly. How do we take our inner beliefs and attitudes and how do we live them out outwardly so we can have an impact on others? And so... For the past several weeks, we've been talking about intentional impact. And I want to read from Hebrews chapter 12 and read the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How many of you have run in a race, like a literal running race? And I'm not talking about... Fifth grade, track and field day, doesn't count. Running a race, a few. Um, I've run in some 5Ks. 5Ks have a nickname, Fun Runs. They are kind of fun. They can be fun if you, you know, kind of work up. They can be kind of fun. Um, There are other races that just seem less fun, like a marathon. That just doesn't, I'm sure some people find that fun. Um, that sounds like a whole lot of work. Uh, my sister ran in the Austin Motorola, Motorola Marathon um, some time ago. It was when I was in seminary in Austin, so this is back in around the year 2000. Um, and I remember being able to go out to the race course and cheer her on. The path went right by her seminary, and so um, she said, I should be around that marker. I can't remember what mile marker that was, maybe the... Tenth mile marker or so. Um, Around this time, so I was out there early enough, had to wait maybe five or ten minutes or so, and there comes Becky. She's running by, and I mean, I was just so proud of her. I was cheering her on, and other people were with me cheering all the runners on, and it really was just kind of this emotional moment. Um, And then um, there was plenty of time for me to drive to Zilker Park where the marathon finishes. And that was just really cool, um, seeing the runners, and they're just worn out, exhausted, cross the finish line. And everyone at Zilker Park, if you've been to Austin, you know where that is, they're just cheering and yelling and screaming. It was was very cool. And I thought about that, and I thought, what would it be like if there was no cheering section for the marathon runners? Imagine what it would be like if if you're running a marathon, 26 miles, and there's no one lining the streets saying, keep going, you can do it. Imagine if there's no one at the finish line um, 
yelling and screaming and cheering you on. I imagine there would be many, many fewer people running all 26 miles in a marathon. That's how important the cheering section is. Why do you think that the writer of Hebrews uses a running race metaphor for, for life? It's because life can be kind of tough sometimes, right? You've got to keep going. And you need a cheering section to help you keep going. Stay, on, stay in the race. So I want you to turn to someone either next to you or down the row from them, and I want you to tell this to them. I have to shout out loud to them. You need a cheering section. Turn to the next person and say, you need a cheering section. Because it's true, you need a cheering section. You do. I don't care who you are in here, you need a cheering section. I remember a time when I needed a cheering section. It was my uh, 40th birthday, and uh, it was just a crazy time. My family was about six weeks away from moving to Illinois. Um, I don't remember the details, but I remember that birthday week being one of the most stressful weeks um, I think I had like a health insurance issue where they got some numbers wrong and I got a letter in the mail, oh, you owe $6,000, what? So just dealing with insurance and dealing with this move and other things mounting up, and it was just an intense week. And on my 40th birthday, I went to the mailbox, and it was full, I mean full, of 40th birthday cards. And not the, you know, not the silly ones like, oh, you're getting balder, you're getting fatter, you're getting older, happy birthday. But like the good ones, like you can do it. You can, you can make it. And it was just so encouraging for me. You need a cheering section. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews is loaded with um, uh, scriptures about faith and, and encouraging one another in our faith. Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us, what? Encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. There are some people who just lift up our spirits. They, they are generous in their words of encouragement. Um, and they help us believe in ourselves and they keep us going. And there's, there is a special term um, that has been used to describe such people. And they are known as balcony people. And they are the ones that tell us, you can do it. I believe in you. And they're just kind of cheering us on. Hebrews 12 begins, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this cheering section. So two things about balcony people. One, balcony people encourage us along by giving us confidence. They lean over that balcony. They cheer us on. Maybe we are going through a difficult time, or maybe we are, we're, we're trying something new. We're in unknown territory. Maybe we're trying out uh, a new career. Maybe it's, it's day one on the job, and maybe it's completely new. Maybe we're trying to develop a, a good habit kick a bad habit, starting today, and balcony people give us courage and believe that we can actually do this, that we are about to try to do. 
And two, balcony people take notice of our unique gifts and strengths and believe God will continue to work through them. See, balcony people, they don't just say nice things or encouraging things to tickle our ears. They don't just give false hope. They look into our life and they see what God is doing in our life. See, another part of my sister's story of running the marathon is that she was not able to train like she wanted to. The The furthest that she had trained, um, the furthest that she had run in her training was 14 miles, and I think she only did it once. It wasn't like day after day after day of 14 miles. It's like one time she ran 14 miles, wasn't able to train like she wanted to. And shortly before the race, I asked her, how are you feeling? And she said, oh, I don't know. I've only run 14 miles so far, and I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, you can do it, Becky. You can do it. And I wasn't just kind of, oh, let me say the nice thing so that you can be happier. I knew her strengths. I knew that she can do it. She might have been doubting herself at the moment, but Becky, you can, you can do this. And she did. So being a balcony person, it's not about being nice. You're not ignoring difficulty. You're not being like the person on the Titanic after it hit the iceberg who's saying, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. We're all good. You are intentionally noticing where God has already been at work. And then you are being very optimistic over what God will continue to do. That's a balcony person. Intentionally, intentional faith, intentionally looking for where God has been at work. And then optimistically believing that God will continue to do that. Let's talk about a different kind of people um, who have been referred to as basement people. Um, you can imagine what a basement person is like. Basement people shoot down our ideas without consideration to our strengths or our gifts. They're just bad news people. They're like, eh, it's not going to work. Uh, they always put a negative spin on things to communicate how we will fail. Uh, do you know anyone like that? I like the story that... Uh, I've heard from a couple of people, but John Ortberg comes to mind. Uh, he tells a story. A man who is a hunter has this kind of a friend who it's always bad news, um, always putting a negative spin on things. Well, one day this, this hunter gets a new hunting dog. It's this fabulous dog. It can scent things that are miles away. It's got the eyesight of an eagle, just this amazing hunting dog. And he takes this, this friend of his, uh, to show him his wonderful dog, and of course his friend is not impressed. And so to show how awesome this new hunting dog is, the powers of this dog, he, he shoots this duck out of the sky, it falls down, and it lands on top of the water on a pond. And then this amazing hunting dog races out on top of the water, grabs the duck, and trots all the way back on top of the water, brings the duck back to the hunter. And he looks at his doubting friend, knowing surely he's going to be impressed. And his friend just looked at him and said, your dog can't swim, can he? It's just a basement person. Put this negative spin on everything. 
So let me, let me point out something. There's a difference between being a sober judgment person and a basement person. You know, some people are sober judgment. Let's just really think through this. Is this the right thing? Um, you know, the sober judgment person, if, if one person is jumping off a cliff and everyone starts jumping off the cliff afterward, the sober judgment person is like, well, I don't, I don't, you know, let's, let's reconsider this. Um, there's a difference between being a sober judgment person and a, and a basement person. A sober judgment person looks for evidence where God has your hand been at work and places his or her confidence in that. The basement person just is blind to what God is doing. Now, here's the dangerous thing about being a basement person to somebody else or about listening too much to a basement person yourself. Here's the dangerous thing. Basement people fill our subconscious minds with doubt. And we start hearing this voice of doubt in our subconscious without that person being physically present. And that can hold us down and pull us back. It's like a giant weight. And let me tell you, sometimes it could be our own voice that can come up to us from the basement causing us to doubt. So one of the greatest gifts you can give to others is to be a balcony person for them. So what I want to do is I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at how you can be a balcony person, why you can be a balcony person, and why you should be a balcony person. And I want to look at a great story from the Old Testament. I thought about putting them on the slides, but, you know, it's just a simple story. Um, So I'm just going to read it to you. If you have a Bible, want to turn to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start there. I'm going to skip around, however. Um, But Numbers 13, uh, starting with verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the land of Canaan, we know by another name, the promised land. This is the land, the beautiful land that God was giving to his people. And we can do the math. One person from each ancestral tribe going out to explore the land. There's 12 tribes, so that means there's 12 individuals going out to explore the land. And um, they go out, they explore the land they see that it is indeed a bountiful land. They come across this cluster of grapes, and it's so full and so big, they have to lash the grapes to a pole that is carried by two people to get it back. So abundant and beautiful fruit, other fruit they bring back. And they're out for 40 days, they return, And they bring two reports. There's a majority report and there's a minority report. And if you know the story, you remember how those reports are different. So here's the majority report. I'm going to read from verse uh, 27. They come back. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here Here is its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. 
skipping down. The men who had gone up with him said, with this majority report, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And then look at what they say at the end of verse 33. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We seemed like little grasshoppers in our own eyes. Now, these men are not balcony people, are they? They're basement people all the way. But one of the men had a different view, and his name was Caleb. And he and Joshua were two of the individuals that went and explored the promised land, seen the same land, saw the same very large people living in the land, saw the same fortified cities that the other ten men had seen, and they issued a minority report. And here is what they said. Listen to this. Caleb and Joshua said, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Now, is that just kind of pie-in-the-sky thinking? No, because then they say next, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, that's a typical balcony response. We can do it. We can take the land. It's not just this positive thinking because they back it up. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. They've got good reason to think optimistically. So how can you be a balcony person? How can you do it? By believing in a balcony God. God is a balcony God. And I think God is doing two things as a balcony God. Think about, whenever you see a balcony um, and kids are around, what are the kids doing on the balcony. They're, they're looking over, right? Or they're looking through the bars or something like that. You're, you're, you're having guests over. You're having a, a party or a dinner party, whatever. you got friends over. And the kids on the second floor, what are they doing? They're always looking over the balcony at what, what are the grown-ups doing? Or, you know, Kids like to look over balconies or look through balconies. And, and I think that, um, that God is... Is like that, peering over this balcony, seeing what's going on. What is God looking for? I want you to notice again the beginning of the story of God sending the explorers into the promised land. So look again at Numbers 13, verse 2. Do I have this? Yeah, slide. So some send some men, God says, to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So why did God send the men into the land? Was it to find out, was it to perform a feasibility study? Let's go check this out and see if we can do it. Is that why God sent them in? No, because God said, I am giving you this land. 
It's very feasible. It's 100% mission accomplished. Go into the land. Why was God sending the explorers into the land to see if they would receive the promise of God by faith? God's watching. How would the people respond? So here's the second point I want to make. It is by faith that we receive the promises of God. And we see this over and over and over again in the Scriptures. God watches for faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And not just that he exists, but also that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we receive the promises of God by faith. God's watching. He's looking over the balcony. But I firmly believe this. God is not setting us up for failure and he's just watching to, watching for that. That is not how God is watching over the balcony. He is not setting us up to fail. He's instead cheering us on. He's giving us his spirit. He's promising his presence and he's saying, you can do it because I'm with you. And hopelessness comes when you believe that there's nothing but dead ends ahead of you. And for the ten men, other than Joshua and Caleb, when they went to the promised land, that's all that they saw. They saw great things, but then they saw a bunch of dead ends. We can't do this. Look at how huge they are. Look at these fortified cities. We're like grasshoppers. We're going to get smashed. And notice there's this link for them between what they believe about God and what they believe about themselves. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. We are nothing more than these grasshoppers. And conversely, Joshua and Caleb, what they believe about God influences what they believe about themselves. What do they say? We can do this. We should go up. Look at, uh, well, I don't know if I have a slide for this. So Numbers 13, verse 30, here's what Joshua and Caleb said. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Why? Because God's with them. It's what they believe about God that influences what they believe about themselves. Unfortunately, the rest of the Israelites were persuaded by the majority report, not the minority report. And they failed to trust God and enter the promised land And here is what God said. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb is a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. That was uh, Numbers 14. Verses 23 and 24, if you're writing that down. Now, what can we take from this story? Um, Sometimes when we follow God, it uh, requires faith. Um, Walking in obedience requires faith. Sometimes it may seem a little more intimidating than we would like it to. It may require more faith encourage from us than we wish it would. 
I think about my sister. A few days before running the marathon, can I do it? I don't know. I've only run 14. Need to run 26. We'll see. Sometimes it requires that faith. So I'm going to look at why we can be balcony people. Why can we do that? Um, I think there's three things we can look at. One, I, I think of this great phrase, and you've heard it before. It's a great phrase. I don't know who came up with it. Um, but it's this. We can be balcony people because God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Have you heard that before? In other words, you don't have to have everything totally together in your life before God uses you. It's not like God says, you're going to have to perform 100% on this readiness exam before I turn you loose. God is asking you to rely on his presence, his spirit in you. And even if you're not equipped at the moment, God will equip, equip you along the way and empower you along the way. That's one reason why we can be a balcony people. Two, um, we can be balcony people because God's plans are bigger than we think. You see, just as important to the story of the Israelites in the promised land um, is why God wanted to bring them into the promised land in the first place. And the Israelites may have thought initially, oh, this is because we're God's people and he wants, to have this, wants us to have this great land. And it's all for us. And, 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 and they may have had this all for us mentality. Um, but... But that wasn't the fullness of God's plan for getting the Israelites in the promised land. It wasn't some special reward just for them. It was because he wanted to partner with the Israelites to do great things. He wanted to put them in this great land and for them to be a light to all these nations around them. This is what it is like when you follow the true God. It's like living in this land of blessing and abundance. They were to be a light for other nations. The Israelites may have thought this land is just for us. God thought, that's not my, just my plan. My plan, my big plan, is for you to be a light for the other nations in this land. So we serve a big plans God. But that requires faith. When Jesus went to the cross, that required faith. And he had that faith, and so he was able to go to the cross Our Hebrews 12 passage says, with joy, knowing God had big plans to defeat sin and death through Christ on the cross. And the third reason why we can be balcony people, back to plans. Who has the plans for our life? God has the plans for your life. You, don't, you know, if, if you had the plans for your life, yeah, you may be able to blow the plans. But you don't have the plans for your life. So you can't mess them up. God's got the plans for your life. Where do we see that in Scripture? We see it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, for, for one place. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, we have that verse on the slide for people. There it is. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ 
Jesus. God's got a plan for your life. And look around this room and you see people in which God is working out his good plans and purposes. And that's why we should encourage one another. Keep going because God has started that work. God has started that plan and he's going to finish his good work. And let me tell you, the person sitting next to you needs to hear that from you, likely. God is working in you. Don't quit. Keep going. So that's why we can be balcony people. Why should we be balcony people? It's the third question. Uh, I think it's this. Why should we be balcony people if we don't compete in the race? We won't receive the reward of the finish. The Israelites who quit, they didn't go into the promised land. And God has a promised land for you. But that promised land is not where you sit back and relax and, you know, kick back and, ooh, now it's time for me to, you know, live the, the good life. Um... God's promised land for you is that place where you experience fulfillment from God and are used by God to help make a promised land for someone else, to help show them what God is doing in their life and help them get to the promised land where God is leading them. So do not quit. Do not quit. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Think about that. How often is each present day called today? How often does that happen where each present day is called today? That's every day, right? Every day that happens, we call today, today. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. So look for one way to encourage someone else every day. Look for one way to encourage someone else every day. Because this day is called today. It is called intentional impact. I'm looking for one way, at least one way today for me to encourage someone today. Lift one, one another up from the balcony. Remind each other of the potential that God has given them. Remind one another there are no dead ends with God, but there's always hope. Why? Because God is creative and powerful and active and determined and sovereign, and he will finish the good work that he began in us. Let's pray.